Okay, if you have a copy of the Bible with you, please open it to Acts chapter 2. We are uh, in the book of Acts for a good while, and um, this is just our third sermon here, but I I wanted to give a heads up that there's a lot of text today. We're not going to cover all of it, and I'm going to preach a second sermon next week from the same text. I could probably do five or six from this text. Uh, We're going to do two, so if you feel like there's something in Acts chapter 2 I didn't address, sorry about that. Uh, We can't always exhaust everything, but uh, if I'm done fig-leafing, we can pray and get going on the text. All right, Lord Jesus, I pray that your word would be alive and speaking to us this morning, that it would give encouragement and strength, that, um, that it would point the way that you want us to go. Let us hear your word and respond to it with soft hearts and, and, and a, a desire to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, back in the 17th century in England, there was a, uh, a group, not a lot of people have heard of them, they were called the Muggletonians. Anyone ever heard of the Muggletonians? Okay, so the Muggletonians were, were fun. They were founded by like a tailor, he was like a clothes tailor, and, and um, they, for one, did not believe in evangelism. They thought, you know, no evangelism, and not only that, they didn't even hold public worship services. So even if you wanted to visit, you couldn't. They were totally antagonistic to their culture. They kind of rejected everything their culture was about. If their culture said blue, they said red, right? And, and they, um, they not only were uninterested in outsiders, but downright antagonistic towards outsiders. Now, what happened to the Muggletonians is they died out within one generation, as you can imagine, but they did give J.K. Rowling a uh, word to call, a a derogatory term to call non-magic humans. So that's their legacy, okay? (laughs) Now, the reason I bring them up is because what we see in the Muggletonians is really what can happen to every body of Christ, to every church, is there's sort of an inertia that you're always fighting against to become very, very inward-focused, right? A, a lot of the time, a church can, can develop sort of this we-for-no-more, self-righteous attitude that someone coming in from outside is like, I'm not supposed to be here, <laughs> you know? These people clearly are fond of themselves and, and have their act together, and, and if I'm struggling in any way, this probably isn't my jam. Or, you know, like, like a lot of the time, there's this message that the culture is scary, that the culture is bad, and, and you kind of get this circle of the wagons mentality, you know, like, like we're huddled in here, we're good in here, it's real bad out there, we're going to keep out there, out of, in here, you know, and we're going to hunker down, we're going to bunker down, and we're going to defend our space against the encroachment of our very wicked culture. Some places, it's like, you know, if you ask a question, you know, hey, I'm not so sure about that, people get up in arms, bristle. There's a, and, 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 and I'm not like saying them bad, us good. I'm saying that could be us easily. I'm saying that, that for every single church, if we're not aware, we can become ingrown 
focused only on the inside with no view, uh, you know, an and, and antagonistic stance towards everybody outside. And I'm sure that I'm bringing back trauma memories for some of you guys because you're like, oh yeah, why are you talking about my childhood right now? I'm still, I still wake up in sweats. I know. But is that what the church is supposed to be? Is that, is that vision of, you know, we're going to keep ourselves pure, have high standards, and sort of be very marked off from culture, Muggletonian style. Is that the intention for the church? Is that a faithful way to be the church? Well, Acts chapter 2 takes us back to what you really could call, yes, our graphic rules, our, what you really could call day one of the church. You see, Jesus had ascended already, and the, the apostles had been appointed, but there's someone we're waiting for, a main character who, who, who they're waiting for and shows up right now and is the missing ingredient of the church. Look with me at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. You know, I say, we know that Luke worked not only from written sources, but from interviews, right? He went around and asked people who were there. I love this. Like, so what happened? They're like, well, we were sitting there in the house together, and, and, and like, a sound like a rushing wind. He's like, was it windy? No, it was just like a rushing wind. Okay, like a rushing wind. You know, like, like the, his ability to explain this in writing kind of, kind of doesn't do it justice. And, and look what happens next. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Again, it doesn't say tongues of fire. The best description they have is tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on them. And what? They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So who shows up? The one that Jesus told them is coming, the Holy Spirit. What do they do as soon as he shows up? They start proclaiming the Word of God. They start proclaiming the good news about Jesus. That's what happens as soon as the Holy Spirit shows up. And the, the, the speeches and acts, you really could say that the Holy Spirit is the main driver behind the scenes for everything that we see in Acts. And so these, these sermons that we're going to see the first speech in Acts today, it sets the program for how the Holy Spirit directs the church and shares the gospel. So if we remember, this is not just an ancient history for interest's sake. We are the inheritors of this thing that God instituted, the church. And so we look to the ancient history to say, well, what are we supposed to be about today? And so what is it? Like, how does the Holy Spirit direct them to share the gospel? Well, first thing we see is the Holy Spirit moves towards. The Holy Spirit moves towards. Look at verses 5 through 13 with me. It says, now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? 
And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. So what's going on here is that the day of Pentecost, it was a harvest festival. And for the big festivals, Jews from all over what's called the Jewish diaspora, which Jews had kind of been, you know, persecuted for a long time, and so were, were kind of scattered throughout the known world. I actually have a map of where all these folks are from. So they were all religiously Jewish. Some of them are of Judean descent. So you, I wish I had my laser pointer on me, but you could see right here, this is where they are in Jerusalem. Okay, that's the, the Jewish homeland. But then, you, you know, all these places that are named, right, that's modern-day Turkey right there. You have people from the Black Sea area, you have people from the island of Crete, you have people from North Africa, from Egypt, uh, from Arabia, and look at this. You even have people from outside the Roman Empire. So a lot of people don't know this, but, but the Rome stopped at the Parthian Empire. The, Rome didn't want to tangle with the Parthians. They were really tough, but there are people who came from the Parthian Empire out there, Mesopotamia, Elam, so on and so forth. And all of these folks would have understood either Aramaic or Greek, okay? being, being either Jewish or from the Greek-speaking world. But what does the Holy Spirit do? Speaks to them in their mother tongue. Many of these are lost languages to us. But So, so do you see that? When Greek or Aramaic would do, the first thing the Holy Spirit does is uses their mother tongue, moves towards them. Not only that, this gathering of nations, the first declaration of the gospel after Jesus says, you know, by the church, it, it, it's, it's to a multinational crew, isn't it? Right? People from all over the place. This is a symbol of what we're going to see, the big change the Holy Spirit brings. What is it? Before this moment, if you wanted to hear the word of God, where did you have to go? You had to go from all over the world to Jerusalem, right? That's where the temple of God was. That's where, the, that's where you, would, you, would, you would be able to encounter God. But this changes, calculus is the wrong word. I failed math, but you all get what I'm saying. <laughs> this changes everything because now, instead of everyone coming to Jerusalem, now the Holy Spirit sends people out from Jerusalem as, as Jesus says in chapter 1, to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit changes the direction of the people of God from inward to outward. The Holy Spirit moves towards. Why is it so key to move towards? To move towards those who are far away. Well, back in um, the 13th century, Europe especially was, was, we could lose the slide now, was terrified because there was a group of people called the Mongols who had uh, freshly conquered China, freshly conquered the Middle East, and now were coming for Europe. They had blown through Russia, they had blown through Hungary, they had blown through Armenia, and now sort of like the nations of Western Europe were like, uh-oh. So they turned to Pope Innocent IV, and they said, Pope, 
do something here. We're all going to die, because that's what the Mongols do. They kill everybody. And so Pope Innocent IV had an idea. He said, I am going to send a letter explaining the gospel to the great Khan, a guy named Goyuk. You all know Goyuk, right? Um, and, uh, and, and so he says, I'm going to preach the gospel to him. He's going to become a Christian. He's going to accept baptism. Then he'll be on our side. Problemo solved. Here's what he wrote. Now, mind you, he wrote this in Latin to someone who was illiterate. This is how it starts. His explanation of the gospel. Hope of everybody living on this. It says, God the Father of his graciousness regarding with unutterable loving kindness the unhappy lot of the human race, brought low by the guilt of the first man and desiring of his exceeding great charity, mercifully to restore him whom the devil's envy overthrew by a crafty suggestion, sent from the lofty throne of heaven down to the lowly region of the world, his only begotten son, consubstantial with himself, who was conceived by the op... It goes on like that for pages. We actually have this thing. It's in the Vatican. We're, I'm getting a little feedback here if you were to bring that volume down. I'm so sorry. I don't know how you tried to translate that right then. That must have been impossible. But you get the idea. He writes this thing like even those of us who, who know our Bibles, who know the, know the story of Jesus, we're like, what was that? That was an explanation of the gospel? Now, Goyuk heard it in translation from Latin and sent his response in Arabic. This is what he said. We have this too. You have said to me that there would be an advantage for me in accepting baptism. You have imparted this to me and sent a request to this effect. This, your appeal, I have not understood. <laughs> he doesn't bother to move towards him. He's like, well, go to, you know, one of our Catholic academies, learn Latin, then you can hear the gospel, right? He didn't move towards him at all. He expected Guyuk to move towards him. And Goyuk was the one with the terrifying army. The first thing we see when the Holy Spirit shows up, it changes the direction. It's not hunker down, get behind the wagons. It is go out. And that's what we see. That's what we see throughout the book of Acts is we see the apostles going to places where the culture is very anti the things of God right, to pagan cultures. Many of them go to, to uh, one, one guy goes to India, another goes to Nubia, another, right? Like, like we're, we're going to see how the Holy Spirit pushes them not into safety and not into a hunkered down, bunkered down mentality, but moves towards. But not only is moving towards important, but, but this, is, this, this is part of what I think is really beautiful about what we see in the book of Acts, about how the Holy Spirit operates is the Holy Spirit speaks the gospel to where we can hear. That doesn't make any sense to you right now. I'm going to explain. The Holy Spirit shares the gospel to where we can hear. There's a part of us that has already responded to God. There's a part of us that's intact, that can hear God. Uh, there was, um, in the 1960s, Mel Blanc who uh, the name sounds familiar, that's who made up Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck. He did all the voices and stuff like that. Well, Mel Blanc was in a terrible car wreck and was in a coma. And the doctors were trying to get through to him, you know, to try and find some part where, where he could hear and respond. And so they're like, Mel, Mel. They brought in his kids, Dad, Dad. They brought in his wife, Mel. Nothing. No response. He couldn't hear or respond. And then 
One day, when they had nearly given up hope that he was completely brain dead, one of the surgeons decided to try something dumb. And he said, hey, bugs. And he hears a response, what's up, doc? Mel Blanc starts responding in Bugs Bunny character. And he was able to hear and respond in whatever part of his psyche held Bugs Bunny. That's the part that was intact. And so the, the doctors started speaking to Bugs Bunny. And gradually, they were able to restore his brain function by starting at the place he wasn't broken. Got it? This is the same thing we see the Holy Spirit do. We're going to see the Holy Spirit do this right here, starting in verse 14. Uh, it says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, what does he do? He quotes from the book of Joel, a prophecy about the day of the Lord. Who were these people? Well, they were devout Jews. You see, there was, they hadn't received Christ yet. They hadn't said yes to the gospel. They weren't followers of Jesus. But there was a big portion of them that had already responded to God. You see, the, they already had overlap with the truth of the gospel. They believed that the Old Testament was the word of God. They believed there was one true God. They believed that there was a coming Messiah. Now, what's interesting is that in other places, and we see like throughout the whole passage, just blur your eyes and look at it, like the, the Old Testament gets quoted from heavily because that's where these guys were intact. They believed the Old, the Old Testament was the Word of God. But in other places, and we're going to cover this several times. I don't expect you guys to all get this the first time. This is heavy duty. When the apostles go to non-Jewish places, they don't quote the Old Testament. They speak in language they can understand. They speak to the part of them that is intact, right? They haven't come all the way to the point of saying, yes, there's a Messiah, but they believe that there's a creator God, or they believe that the natural world is somehow alive, and that's what we see the Holy Spirit direct the apostles to speak to, the place where they can hear and respond. One of the basic principles that we must understand if we're to be God's people is that before anyone opens their mouth to say anything about Jesus, the Holy Spirit has already been at work in a person, has already been at work in a culture. There are footholds in every person in every culture where they have already said yes to part of the truth of the gospel. That's what Romans 1 tells us. Okay, we're not going to go to Romans 1 right now. But you, you see people who may not think that Jesus is God, but they believe in a God, right? That is a place where they're intact. 
Do you see someone who says, well, I don't know about, you know, the church or whatever, but I believe Jesus was, was good, someone I should listen to. That's a place where they're hearing and responding already. If someone, like, um, I heard an interview with a historian I like a great deal, a guy named Tom Holland, great historian of the Roman world. He's like, well, I don't believe in God, but I see now that all of my ideas of right and wrong come from the Christian faith. Right? The, the idea that there's human rights, like I see that that's, that comes from here. So ethically, I'm a Christian, even though I don't believe in God. Well, we might say, well, he's so wrong. How could he? We Turn it around. He's responding. That's where the Holy Spirit has spoken to him. That's where the foothold is. That's where he's able to hear. You see someone who loves the natural world, who stands up for justice, who has a love for art or for beauty. These are things that belong to God, Right? If we, if we insert the alternative explanation that everything's a meaningless accident, none of these things make any sense. These are signs that someone is hearing and responding to God, and that is where the Holy Spirit speaks. So we see the Holy Spirit move towards, speak to where someone can hear and respond, but, but to communicate effectively. You know, the, the, you have to make sense to someone, Right? Like, with, with almost anything, but especially with, with hearing and responding to the gospel, there's, a lot, of, there's a, a lot of things people believe already that just come into conflict with what you're saying, and it doesn't make sense. Like, um, this is a true story. You can, you can look this up online. There was a woman who was hiking through Kazakhstan. She was from New Zealand. And why she was backpacking through Kazakhstan, I don't know, but she was. And she got arrested by, like, Kazakh... CIA or whatever, and they thought she was a spy. Who else would be hiking through Kazakhstan? And, um, and so she's like desperately trying to explain, no, 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 I'm, I'm not a spy. I'm just on an adventure. I'm backpacking. I, I, I'm, I'm not from your enemies. I'm from New Zealand. I'm a, I'm a citizen of New Zealand. And they laughed at her. And she said, what's well, funny? And I said, look, <laughs> if you want us to believe your lie, you've got to lie better than that. You've got to tell us you're from a real place, not New Zealand. And she's like, no, New Zealand is a place. There was a huge map on the wall of the world. And she's like, look, it's right here. And she points to New Zealand, only on their map there was no New Zealand. Right? So before she could convince them of the truth, she had to deal with what they already believed. There is no New Zealand. There's a, there's a belief in place that makes what she's saying not make sense. In the same way, if like, hey, God's the creator and loves you. Wait a second. No, no, no. I know everything came from an evolutionary process. It's not really what evolution is about, but a lot of people believe that. Right? What, what you're claiming comes into conflict with what they already believe. Or, hey, Jesus died to forgive sin. I, I don't believe there's any such thing as absolute morality, so well, sin's not a thing to me. Right? The Bible says this. Well, the Bible's a book like any other book. Right? Somebody has already a prior belief that makes what you're saying not make sense. And, and for the people hearing the gospel in this text, they had a major problem with believing that Jesus is the Messiah. You know what it was? They expected that the Messiah was going to start a revolution against the Romans and kill the Romans and set them free politically. And Jesus didn't do that. In fact, he was killed by the people he was supposed to kill. So the, the, you're going to see throughout 
the entire book of Acts, one of the major issues that, that the, the speakers are dealing with is this, this problem of a crucified Messiah. Even though he rose again from the dead, he didn't check the Messiah box, right? You're, you're saying you're from New Zealand and there's no New Zealand on the map. You're saying Jesus is Messiah, but he didn't do Messiah stuff. There's that prior belief that, that makes them not listen. And so, uh, so we see the Holy Spirit through Peter begin to address this. And we're gonna, you're going to see this in every speech. Uh, look at verse 23. He says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So he first says, hey, th this wasn't a surprise. This wasn't something going wrong with the Messiah. It was actually part of God's plan. And he turns again to what they took as authoritative, the Old Testament. Look at verse 24. It said, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not let my soul, you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now, he quotes this psalm where David is talking about not rotting in the grave. And then Peter says, okay, let's put those two things together. Verse 29, his brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Okay, he's saying not only, uh, not only was it part of God's plan, but if you had understood the scriptures, you would have seen that this is what the Messiah had to do. He had to die and rise again. It is foretold. He is dealing the Holy Spirit is, is helping the gospel make sense to the person hearing. If we want to be following the Holy Spirit, if we want to be the church that, that, that the Spirit leads us to be, we also need to make sure that the gospel makes sense to the hearer. A lot of the time, someone will come up to me in the park, this has happened several times, not ask any questions about who I am, and just start, like, quoting Bible verses at me, right? And, like, like trying to get me to convert. And I'm like, okay, if I was not me and really wasn't so into the whole Jesus thing, this wouldn't make any sense at all. I'm a little annoyed now, and I'm a believer. <laughs> I can't imagine how, how this would be experienced by, by you know, like, like, it wouldn't make any sense. They weren't trying to speak into what they perceived I, I would believe, just downloading Bible verses on me until I capitulate. Um, I, I would be on a run, so I would just be like, gotta run. You know. So what do we see? The Holy Spirit shows up, the, the main hero of the book of Acts. And, and what happens as soon as he shows up? Well, well the gospel starts being uh, proclaimed. How? He moves towards. He speaks to where they can hear and respond, 
and, it, and he makes it make sense. What is our job? Well, it's, it's to do as, as we see the apostles do here. It's to follow. It's, it's to follow where the Spirit leads. It's to say, God is the great evangelist. God is the one doing it. We need to cooperate. And how do we do that? Well, by moving towards. Instead of having that circle the wagons, culture bad, us good mentality, it, as, as we see throughout, our, you know, grace and peace, we are not a bunch of cloistered people who are like, I need to do, you know, like Christian parachurch ministry only because to be out in the workplace would be, would be somehow unfaithful. We need to be separate. We need to be sequestered. Right? Instead, it's to be present everywhere we can in our culture, to move towards. We want to see Christian believers who are gracious and engaging in finance, in government, in, uh, in industry, in um, construction, in where, wherever. It's, it's our job to move towards, not to move away. <laughs> Sometimes uh, I, I've seen, like, like there was one church I, I visited once in Southern California. They had built this gigantic complex they had a pizza shop. They had a coffee shop. They had a basketball gym. They had a bookstore. They, had, they literally had walls around this huge complex. And the idea was, well, we want people to be in here, not out there in the world where it's dangerous. But the Holy Spirit actually directs us to move towards, to move towards others, to move towards those who disagree to move towards those who don't share our convictions and be present there and be a faithful presence there. And also, and we'll go over this again and again, it's to discover where someone can hear and respond to the gospel. Where has this person been hearing from the Holy Spirit? Where has the Holy Spirit already had success? And you're like, but, but like, if I walk up to someone in a movie theater line and just start shouting the gospel at them, how would I ever know? Exactly, don't. <laughs> you actually have to take the time to know someone and know them well and ask more questions than you make statements. To know what they're, what they're worried about. To know what they love. Right? The, the, especially in our culture right now, where we want... like. Very few people that I know came to Christ through open-air preaching. One or two. Like, yeah, I was at a thing, and I raised my hand, and I went forward while well, everyone had their eyes closed and head bowed. You know, almost everyone that walks with Jesus over the long haul does so because someone walked with them. A parent, a friend, a youth leader. Somebody loved them. Someone cared about them instead of just walking up and sort of impersonally downloading the gospel on somebody. It's taking the time to figure out where, like what, what's already resonating with them about the gospel. Is it their love of God's world? Is it their love of truth? Their love of justice? Their dedication to their family? Their dedication to their work? All of these things belong to God. Where does this person's life and belief already overlap with gospel truth? And also, to follow the Holy Spirit, we need, to, we, need to, we need to make sense. Am I saying that you all need to get an A in Christian debate club class? No. 
Well, what I am saying is that if we don't spend time wrestling with these difficult questions and engaging them well, well how does the Bible go with what we know about you know, science? How does how do we answer the question, you know, if God is good and all-powerful, why is there so much suffering in the world? There's all sorts of questions, honest questions that people have. And if you haven't thought through these things, if you've not wrestled with them yourself, you know what? You'll be really defensive, unable to engage. So I'm not saying you all need PhDs in, like, answering tough questions. But it's really, really crucial, partly... Because we, ha- we all struggle with those questions too, do we not? Like these are questions we maybe feel afraid to ask. And guess what? Someone who's just spiritually seeking feel like they'll be kicked out if they ask such a question. That's, that's straight up Muggletonian. It's a good adverb, isn't it? Or a- adjective. It's Muggletonian, right? You, you want people to be able to search within the church. The Holy Spirit is the great evangelist. The Holy Spirit moves towards, speaks to where the hearer can hear, and also makes sense. Our job is to follow. Back in, um, back in 1904 and 1905, in the little country of Wales, there was one of the great revivals in church history. It was only about two million people in coal mining country, that's what Wales was at the time, and there was 150,000 people who who came to know Jesus during this revival, one year, maybe a year and a half. And you're like, wow, that's, 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 an, amazing, uh, um, that's an amazing revival, right? And they must have had some incredible strategy to reach Wales. You know what it was? It was a little coal miner church and like four or five old ladies who were in there just praying. They wanted people to come to know Jesus. They were asking God, hey, will you do something? And something just started happening. And you say, well, well, God must have raised up like some awesome, charismatic, great communicator of the gospel, John Chrysostom or Billy Graham or whomever. Uh, the, the leader of this was a guy named Evan Roberts, who was a 24-year-old coal miner, had one semester of seminary. And, you know, you can look in the history books. The description of him was he was very tall, very skinny, not a good speaker, an average in every way. Like I always imagine, you know, like you pump up a speaker before they come on, and now give it up for tall, skinny, bad speaking, average in every way, Evan Roberts, right? That's not what they did. It wasn't based on any of that stuff. You know what, you know what they did? Their entire key, they, they would just say to each other, follow or obey the Holy Spirit. we want to be faithful to the call of Christ, if we want to be as, as the, the, the church God drew up, we too need to not look to our own efforts, to our own, to our own initiative, but instead to follow the Holy Spirit. Please pray with me. Spirit, we pray that you would continue to move among us. We see how you've brought people from not knowing Jesus to knowing Jesus. We see how you've worked in our own lives, in our church, to build us into a community. I pray, God, that you would keep us looking out, moving towards, 
speaking so that it makes sense. We pray, God, that, that we could repent where we're starting to, to look inward and instead follow the Holy Spirit.